0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode number 23 of Real Blend, a podcast that made more money than solo over the weekend. Hey! (laughs) Hey! My name is Sean O'Connell, and I am the managing editor over here at Cinema Blend, which helps explain why Real Blend airs live on CB's Facebook page. So if you are watching us right now, hello. Um, If you're listening to us later, we hope that you are using iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or any of the methods used to download podcasts. So while you're at it, Give us a star rating, write a quick review. All of those mentions that you guys do on the different podcast apps really help us out. Boost the status of the podcast, so we really appreciate it. And by we, I mean my amazing co hosts, starting with the king of 70 millimeter projection, Mr. Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you? Good afternoon, Jonathan. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. We're going to get to your 70, million, 70 millimeter excursion uh, later, and we're going to loop in our other co-host, Mr. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, say hi. Hello, my handsome friends. How are you? Oh, it's good to be back with you guys live and, uh, and recorded, if you're listening to us later. We um, are going to get into Solo A Star Wars Story spoilers today. Uh, We're going to talk box office, we're going to talk about the future of Star Wars, and we're going to talk about some things that don't have anything to do with Star Wars at all. So um, let us begin with news and kick right off with Solo, a Star Wars story, box office over the Memorial Day weekend. And I find this really interesting. We had a conversation recently um, when it came to Deadpool 2, and we all sort of hesitated to use a word, uh, the word disappointing. Because Deadpool Two opened below what the original opened to, and so we had set expectations. And now that we're talking about solo's box office, because of the expectations of a Star Wars franchise, I'm going to put it to you guys: Is it fair uh, to use the word disappointing when you talk about a movie, a Star Wars story that opens uh, less than less than 100 million for the three day and needed a fourth day to get to 100 million? Oh, absolutely. Jay, you, I think right? I think, think so?
1: disappointing I think is. A totally fair word to use. The word that I've been hearing that I'm not super comfortable with is bomb. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, you know. And I sort of felt that way with Justice League, too. Like, I have a hard time saying that any movie that crossed $100 million in four days is a bomb. I mean, I get it yeah. in, in, in relation to how much it cost. But bomb is a, is a really ugly word that takes a, l- a lot less to do that.
2: The interesting thing for me, by the way, was the conversation we were having about Deadpool 2. And I remember Jake was posing that question in our chat about it being disappointing if it didn't open past its original uh, film. And I I argued against it because I mean I thought $7 million less than the original film made was not a disappointment. I I felt that it opened up in a more crowded marketplace, clearly with the um, Avengers Infinity War. And I'm in no way defending Deadpool 2 because I liked it more. I just don't consider that to be a disappointment whatsoever in regards to box office, considering the film... Is about to cross 500 million uh, worldwide. It hasn't even opened in China or Japan yet. Um, big, it, you know, it's going to do big numbers and have very good legs, like like it already has. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's interesting because then when you put the two films in comparison, which is an interesting thing to do in itself, because they're completely different movies. One's PG 13, one's R rated. So I, I look at those specific details as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this solo. I mean, what what did it do worldwide in like three... Was it 148, 150? It was like... like yeah, was, I think days. it was like one
1: right, at 150, which is not a great worldwide opening either. Yeah. I mean, I think... And the big question
2: is why. And I think a lot of us can all agree here on reasons why we think Solo didn't open well. And I, and I think, it, in my opinion, it comes down to one May release, uh, very crowded marketplace. You're in the middle of Avengers, Deadpool 2 uh that that to me was a just a poor choice of placement i think they should have stayed in december uh two there was a lot of bad news surrounding that movie i mean a lot of bad news surrounding it in regards to the directors leaving things like that happening uh the film itself was very in my opinion mediocre um i know jake will say kevin you're mediocre but yeah one of those things i, I, <laughs> I, I gotta start I,
1: changing up my jokes I, if you can start no, calling them out before i, I even say them,
2: no but i i just i just think there was a lot of things going on with this movie it was and also five months prior to that a disappointing to a lot of people star wars film opened up in december so uh there was a lot of things kind of going into it also if you look at the jump in numbers force awakens made two billion dollars the Last Jedi made 1.3 billion. That's right. a 700 million dollar drop. Yeah. To uh, that's a massive. I mean, 1.3 billion dollars is a lot of money. Clearly, right? right? Rogue One made a, a billion. Rogue One also did 155 domestically opening weekend, which was more than Solo did worldwide in three days, from what I understand. Um, so it's interesting I mean, I mean, to, to your we, point we- though i
1: mean you know but when when force awakens came out we sort of treated star wars differently than we treat other movies and it lived up to those expectations box office wise and we did that because we so rarely got them if we're going to start getting them once a year and in some cases within six months of each other we have to start unfortunately not putting them up on this pedestal anymore and treating them differently than we treat other films and that are just some of them are just going to have okay box office, and that's sort of disappointing. Well, but this the
2: Force is of, the, <clears throat> the Last Jedi would have ha- would have done Force Awakens numbers had it had it been as good, in my opinion. No, now, I, I don't. I don't
1: think the quality I, knocked I, off seven hundred million. I do. I, th- I, I think You think the, the quality knocked off almost a billion dollars from the box office? No, the, Force Awakens was a it? phenomenon because Force Awakens was a phenomenon unlike anything we've ever seen.
0: No, yeah, the, wait, it was the first one it, in so long yeah. to come out. It bring bring it, the it, cast back together. It was, you know, yeah. it was an anomaly. But,
2: but, but, so, all right. So, how much of that seven hundred million do you think was hurt by poor word of mouth? I mean, to be honest, the last Jedi was a very anticipated movie, and it opened very close. To I the think Force people Awakens. went
0: back to Force Awakens more times than, than once. Yeah, uh, I agree. I know. I saw it in the theaters three times, and specifically, yeah. I went to go see it on like IMAX screens and bring people. Because I that was one of those movies where I wanted to experience it right. with people. I was and totally. I made, on board I made with that. you
2: see it at, uh, in DC in seventy millimeter IMAX. I, yeah. I think I went back and saw that thing three or four times. I didn't go back and see Last Jedi yeah. multiple times. So well, so is this a status
0: kind of, of like not to keep comparing to the Marvel franchise, but like it's almost like the Marvel franchise is the bar to, to raise it to, right? Like, is it just we we kind of expect them to always have an Avengers movie, and every once in a while they're going to have a Doctor Strange or an Ant Man. Right. But not to say the quality's bad, bad, but they're, just, they're not going to perform. Yeah. I mean, not, not every movie,
1: you know, not yeah, Not yeah, I think that's a perfect comparison. I don't think, you know, if we're going to start getting these cross universe movies and, and if there are characters that, that were introduced in solo, they're going to pop up in you know, the Kenobi movie or whatever the case may be, then Marvel is an apt comparison. And in that case, sometimes you're going to get an, an Avengers box office opening and sometimes you're going to get an Ant-Man box office opening. Yeah, you can't right. expect it every single time.
2: But how do you explain a one of the most beloved characters of all time getting their own movie and opening less than a film that had no famous Star Wars characters whatsoever in the leading format?
1: Because it wasn't like Harrison Rogue. Ford, and I would yeah. argue that just, but how it's not Rogue the same. did
2: Rogue One open so good? Why did Rogue One open so well?
1: Because they had Darth Vader to promote with it,
0: and was it was happened? the first oh, non—it yeah. was the first of the s- the standalone movies. Yeah, so we there were was still riding high off Force Awakens. Yeah, here's somebody asked in the Facebook chat. Uh, people who are watching us on the Facebook Live um, asked about the cost of Solo, and I read the numbers, and I was stunned that this thing ro- cost a reported three hundred million dollars. That does not look like a three hundred million dollar movie. Well, because they because they, they reshot they it, shot it. it. Yeah, so it's all the reshoots. I okay,
2: think well, so. Yeah, so, I mean, to, they basically made two movies. I mean, like, like if, if I'm not, if, I I could be wrong, but yeah. I read Lord Lord Miller shot. Close to 80% of the film. I don't know if that's true. That's what I read. Um, So another number that I read was that there's about 30% of the footage still exists in the movie from what I've read. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know for sure that Ron Howard told me specifically there is footage of Lord Miller in his movie. And then Woody Harrelson said a lot of the train scene was already shot prior to Ron Howard stepping in. So yeah, if you shoot 80% of a film and then you have to reshoot Another seventy percent of it, right? Is that is that? I guess. The so, if that's the, the case,
1: was Tanny Newton at the junket and like didn't really know Ron Howard? That's Ooh. possible. I mean, how much? Yeah, I mean, like how yeah. much of mean? her stuff? Because well, she, like, if, a majority well, of her yeah, stuff let's is. Let's not is get, the train get into spoilers in
0: yet. Let's not get into spoilers just yet. We're getting into spoilers. Well, really no, Tanny
1: more. Newton's in more scenes than
2: just the train scene.
0: We're getting a weird hand signal from Gabe, and I'm not quite sure what it means. He means save it for later. I think save it for later because we're talking about spoilers. um but you bring up an interesting point let's bring that back up when we get back into the spoiler territory but that is pretty interesting i don't know if i want to anymore let's get to the next (laughs) news point because it's kind of part of this on the heels of or or right in the middle of solo dropping um lucasfilm confirms a little bit of what their long-term plan is because we were saying this earlier on the podcast of like i I wish we just know what they were hoping to do next and they confirm a boba fett movie did uh, they confirm it though well, oh, I don't think I don't Lucasfilm know. has.
1: I think everyone's reporting it, but last I oh. saw, Lucasfilm has said nothing about Boba. Well,
0: Fett. Way to derail the podcast,
1: Jake. I'm sorry. I think that's an <laughs> interesting point, though. Is it since it is. they were yeah, were they holding off on uh, yeah. on confirming Boba Fett to sort of see what happened with Solo? Right. I uh, thought the
2: Boba Fett news dropping when it did was to increase the uh, uh, attention around Solo. Right. That's what I, I mean. I could when,
1: be wrong. And if you're watching I, at home, I mean, let us know if, if I'm missing some sort of confirmation from Lucasfilm. But I well, think as no, of this like reporting,
0: the, they haven't. The trades have reported it, but I, you're right. I haven't seen anything from Mangold. So James Mangold was announced as the writer director of it. Um, but there was no time frame given for this. Like, right. we still, we only know episode nine of December 2019. And beyond that, it is currently, right now, Ryan Johnson trilogy. Uh, Benio- ben Benioff? Had David yeah. Benioff's and, yeah. and D.B.Y.'s trilogy uh, and now this um, Boba Fett movie with the rumored Obi-Wan movie also out there. And then Favreau's thing is going to streaming as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But, but a lot of these could end up going to streaming and not be theatrical. We, we just don't know anything confirmed. I just I have, I have
1: p- a hard time saying that they're going to spend uh, $200 million on a movie and not send it to theaters. Let okay. me ask you guys a question. Sure.
2: Episode 9 comes out next December. JJ mm-hmm. Abrams is back in the directing chair. Yes. A lot of faith in that filmmaker did a great job with The Force Awakens. Let's say the buzz around that movie is amazing. Does it make more money than The Last Jedi?
0: Potentially. Yes. Hard to say
1: yes. right now. I think I, I think so too because I think they're going to promote it in in a way like they promoted uh, Infinity War, which is like this is the end. Like you your entire life yeah. you've been wa- you've been watching this nine chapter story. And now we're at chapter nine. There, I think they're going. If they're smart, they will promote it as this, like, like come see it while you can, because after this, my dog's getting very upset just talking about it. (laughs) Can I? Can I say (laughs) one
2: thing real fast about the solo box office? Colin
1: Trevorrow.
2: No, I promise you, she is not. Just one quick thing. Uh, I don't want any movie to fail ever. Uh, And agreed. As I sit here and talk about solo box office, it. I'm not happy about it. I mean, as as a person who's a, a reviewer, as somebody who's Uh, interviewing actors in this business. I mean, you obviously want the business of movies to do well. I personally didn't love Solo as a critic. I didn't, I thought it was just okay. And I I, I recommended it mildly on a matinee scale. But yeah, I mean, I I don't want people to like listen to this and go, oh, they're just, because there's so many people online right now that are very negative and very mean about people, about the box office. And people don't understand how much work goes into these films, how much work Ron Howard had to do to fix what was going on, and I'm I'm not excusing the movies itself because the movie itself, as a review, it stands in my review. But outside of that, I don't think anybody should take pleasure well, in and I a wanna, negative box office story. That's all. I,
0: I just want to mention this too. Um, like, what do the people who are down on like the conversation is Disney Disney's killing Star Wars, right? Uh, theoretically, and as as wrong as I think that is, what do those people want? Like, do they think that Disney's going to sell Lucasfilm? Or do they want George Lucas to take it back over? Because none of those things are going to happen. So what are you rooting for? The last time
1: George Lucas took over Star Wars, or not took (laughs) it over because he already had it, we got a really horrible diner shot in episode two with Obi-Wan sitting across from a creature that now I'd argue doesn't look good enough to be fit into a video game. Like that's, that's the Lucas movie. Like we, I feel like now we're looking back at the, at the prequels is like these works of genius that the great George (laughs) Lucas gave us. And it's like, do you not remember (laughs) how far we've come in, in just the last 15 years?
2: Right. And Jake and I have argued about this a lot over text, and I think him and I have come to an agreement now in regards to where we stand with the episodes. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't hate one, and I don't hate three. Two is arguably one of the greatest, worst movies of all time. <laughs> agree 100%. Um, but but one, one has scenes. I like Darth Maul, obviously, the fight yeah. scene and the pod race. And, and it's a great lines. kids movie. I, I was, fun, I was yeah, nine yeah,
1: or ten when it came out, and I thought it was fantastic.
2: It's, hey. Listen, it's not a great movie by any means, but it, but it's not as bad as everyone says. And I'm, I'm not saying we need to go back to Lucas, because I, I can argue Lucas... I don't think Lucas is a great director, um, but I think he's a great storyteller and a great com- coming up with ideas type of guy. Um, but I just... Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Attack of the Clones is bottom of the barrel Star Wars, no question. Solo is nowhere near that. And I hope
1: it is always the bottom of the barrel. Like, the bar... Should be just to be above Attack of the Clones, really. Yeah. Just like, let's just keep it above that.
0: I like that we didn't even tease what this week's game is going to be, but we are doing Star Wars blend later in the show, where the three of us have chosen our top three Star Wars films. Because obviously, picking the best, we'd come up with the same two answers theoretically. But yeah, I'm I'm, sort of, I'm
1: I'm third curious slot. as to yeah, I would say I'm curious as to what it's because the third slot is going to be the I I don't know what you your your picks are, but I'm assuming right. we all have the same first two. So yeah. really, it's the third one is Clone is the Wars,
0: argument. Sith, and then we sort of debate yes, what the third exactly one is going to be. I don't oh. think
2: I don't think I have the same first two as you guys. You
0: might not. Actually, when I oh, asked Gabe what your choices were, he made a face that made my stomach turn a little. bit. Oh God! what so, I'm curious. I,
2: and it, this is actually a, a, a conclusion <laughs> I've come to recently, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share it with you guys. Oh God.
0: So the conversation of Star Wars is dead and Disney's killing my Star Wars and fire Kathy Kennedy, like all the stuff is hilarious because then um, we we CinemaBlend was able to go down to Orlando and take part in Galactic Nights and learn something about Galaxy's Edge, the new Star Wars theme park. And all of a sudden everyone's like, "Ooh, tell me more. Like, I want to hear more about this Star Wars land. So not so dead. Exactly. But have you guys paid attention to any of the stuff that's been revealed? It sounds incredible.
2: I mean, it's going to be... I, I, I saw the drone footage that they released of... Uh, uh, that was in Disneyland, right? Yeah, uh, uh, World, looks, World. Hollywood Studios. Oh, okay. It, the one, oh, well, there's the two one of them. I,
0: no, there are two of them. One is in Disneyland, yes.
2: I mean, it looks amazing. I mean, I, I'm I'm super excited about it, clearly. And, I, and I, listen, we can sit, people can sit here all day long and complain about Star Wars. People are still going to go to the theater and see it. I just think when it all comes down to it, I think there needs to be a little bit less of playing it safe. But which is weird because ryan johnson didn't play it normally safe as you know as the star wars film would be and people didn't love it so i think that to me solo is a very safe star wars movie but what would lord of millers movie look like i have no idea so i don't know i there's so many ways to look at that perspective but i think people need to get off the idea of being black and white about negativity in regards to star wars like you know just find a middle ground and, and like what you like and dislike what you dislike but don't crush the whole Star Wars universe because you didn't like one movie, you know what I mean?
0: Jake, um, a friend of mine who's a diehard Star Wars fan, as as much of a diehard fan as you are, is debating between and I'm gonna put this to you, um, if you had the chance to only go to Celebration in Chicago, so it's hard, it's right there for you. Um, or Galaxy's Edge, which one would you would you prioritize? I mean I honestly sort of that's it here's what I'll say about Celebration.
1: I, I flew to Orlando last year. And I went to all four days. And by day two and a half, there was a little bit of like, this is a lot of Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. (laughs) And there was a lot. I I went to the 40th anniversary panel. I I went to the the episode eight panel. But it's just a lot. Uh, I'd argue if you went to Galaxy's Edge in the same way that if you went to Comic-Con, at least you can get your Star Wars fix and then go off and do a little something else if you want to... Hop over to the one of the parks and get your your Jurassic Park fix. Or if you want to yep. go to the, the wizarding role of Harry Potter. You know, you can kind of do that. And granted, if you come to Chicago, you can go to Star Wars Celebration and then you can come hang out at my place. Have a very comfortable fold-out couch. Uh but but you do? it's I do. I don't know if you've never heard this, but I've it's heard this. uh it's, it's 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 Star Wars Celebration is a lot. Yeah, it, but the thing about it is
0: the thing about it is Galaxy's Edge is going to be there now for a long time. Celebration yeah. has the element of if you're not there when it's taking place, you're missing something.
1: That, and that's very true. So it also depends on like how important the mo- the big movie of the moment is. So obviously this upcoming right. Star Wars Celebration, it's going to be all about Episode Nine, And I think, like I said, talking about sort of the end of of a chapter of Star Wars before we move on to these other people's trilogies. So there is a special significance to that. And once you miss it, you can't get it back. Um, also, so you want to get sense, to meet yeah. the
0: directors. You want to meet the directors of the new franchises before they get fired. Right. So that's important. And
1: if you want to meet the third guy that works craft <laughs> services on Attack of the Clones, this is your spot, baby. You get in line, and four <laughs> hours later, you get to meet him.
0: <laughs> and pay to have your photo taken with them. Damn right. Let's get out of Star Wars for a minute. Um, right as we were getting ready to record a podcast, we heard news that Jamie Foxx was cast as Spawn. Uh, and will be directed by Todd McFarlane. Are you guys excited about this? I don't know a lot about Spawn. I know the first I movie was it. terrible.
2: I dig it. I enjoyed the first movie, actually. Was that Michael... Um, what the heck was the gentleman's name who played Spawn I know, Spawn you're, yeah, I know you're talking about. Um, um, Leguizamo.
0: John Leguizamo.
2: John
1: Leguizamo was the clown. Was,
0: no. Oh, right. He, right. he was, he was Michael, the, the...
2: Michael... Rooker? He was also in Black Dynamite, right? The gentleman who played um, Spawn. What the heck
0: is Michael... His name? Michael. No, no. Michael... Hold on. Hold on. All right, I'm we'll right figure it right.
2: out. But Tom McFarlane yes. directing the spinoff is awesome. First of all, he directed one of the arguably one of the greatest videos of all time, music video. wise Michael Jai
1: there. White? Someone just it. oh, on. okay, well done, and, well done. And Michael author.
2: Jai White was also in Black Dynamite, right? I'm, I, it's, it's the, it, I believe uh, it was him, and he was in Spawn. He's a great actor. I'm just trying to remember if I have if I have the uh, the name right, but the um, Tom McFarlane directed "Freak on a Leash," which was a great video by Korn. Did he really? Um, which I'm super. Yeah, it was like I a really cool music video with a with a bullet going through the video. It was like total Todd McFarlane animation. It was so well done.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. And, it, and it's uh,
1: a Bloomhouse picture, right? So it's not like yes. he has, he's seeing any any crossover in any other universes. Or does he even exist in other universes?
0: I don't think he does. I think he's his own thing. I don't know. I'm excited to see what they do with him. It has the potential to potentially do a it has the potential to potentially try to do that again. Uh, have you got have you guys seen Black Standalone? Dynamite?
2: No. No. Oh my god. It's like one of my favorite Dude, Black Dynamite is legitimately an amazing movie. You got to watch it. I mean, What I, is that, it about? It's just like it's like a very like 70s exploitation. You just have to watch it. Like Michael Jai White is so good in it. Just tr- just okay. watch it. Trust me, it's amazing.
0: Okay. It's I'm awesome. On Talking about amazing films that you guys were able to see. And if you don't live in one of the four cities where this slice of magic happened because i'm one of and i got to sit back and watch the text chain go through uh the boys went to go see 2001 a space odyssey in 70 millimeter um kevin you're pretty up to date on how this came together because your boy nolan is involved so why don't you just catch people up with how this even started because i didn't realize until you just put it on social today that this is from kubrick's actual camera negative
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the, it's the original, it's from the actual camera negative. It's the unrestored version of the movie and Gabe, Gabe saw it as well. He can back me up if I'm, if I have any information wrong here, but it is truly just a a experience that I never thought I'd be able to have. I know Jake had it as well. Um, Nolan saw this movie from what I've read in interviews uh, with his dad and I think if I, if, I, if I have it correct, I believe when Star Wars was released in 77, they re-released 2001 after Star Wars came out because of the success of that movie. And just the idea of space, I, I believe. I, and I could, you know, don't, don't quote me on that. but um, Sounds about right. Jake, did you read Jake? Did you read the story about Nolan um, seeing the film with his dad after seeing Star Wars, and they re released two thousand one. No, no, no I don't so, know the story. I believe they re released two thousand one. He went and saw it, and I, in my mind, that was kind of the spark that led to the genius of what Nolan became nowadays. I mean, if you watch Dunkirk and Inception, Interstellar, um, there is so much Kubrick in those movies, and especially rewatching two thousand one in a seventy millimeter theater with that much sound. I truly kind of got a great appreciation for the the art of what Nolan has done throughout his career. If you look at something like Dunkirk, which is heavily led by music, very minimal dialogue, very, very minimal uh, exposition. That's exactly what 2001 is. Uh, I mean, there's dialogue clearly, in, especially in the second act in the middle of the film. But a lot of that movie is just solely music, sound effects, and just that leading your storyline. On top of that, the idea of in camera practical effects i mean back then cooper didn't have the ability to use cg so you do everything in camera essentially and that's kind of where the inception 2000 uh, inception hallway came from they built a hallway that spun with the camera in place while gordon levitt did his fight scene they removed the wires and it looks unbelievable so to me it was just a, it was just, it was a very full circle moment for me as a film lover to sit in a theater and watch the film that in my opinion sparked the genius of one of the greatest directors in the history of filmmaking uh and just kind of like unraveling that in my mind oh this is where he got this and this and this and this um because it's been so long since i've seen the film uh the 70 millimeter aspect of it yeah it it, it it there's no nothing like it i saw phantom thread in that format this is not an imax this is just 70 millimeter projection and it is glorious the sound is amazing the print is just bubbling with grain and like beauty it looks fantastic on camera um is this almost, part of the
0: reason why they can't show it like why is it only four the, like this is my complaint about it is that why is it only four theaters
2: well they're bringing it it's it, they're platforming it so i think uh, and that's a good question i don't know specifically why the prints are so limited but i will say is there a major market for this other than massive film nerds you know what i mean yeah no i I don't i don't i don't foresee this being put into four thousand theaters and like you know and i'm not knocking anybody who's not massively into films but like i feel like this is a very uh small audience uh that's going to see this movie i don't know it might outgrow (laughs) solo yeah yeah but i mean hey hey it it, it truly is um one of the greatest experiences (laughs) i've ever had and and uh yeah and nolan had a great quote in the interview he did with entertainment weekly which, which i thought was precisely on the point of what this movie is. It's like Kubrick essentially folded space and time, and the movie just kind of exists now, as it did in 68. Um, So to me, there's something to be said about when you sit in the theater and you watch this film, specifically the last act, uh, and the whole sequence with Hal going crazy, and that whole moment outside the spaceship, to the, essentially, the thing that happens in Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey is very similar to what happens to the characters he's going through that massive field of whatever that was until he ends up in that room uh, and he sees himself at different ages and the baby I mean it's very I don't know to me it was just a very unique experience to be able to have that experience and see the film on the unrestored version from the negative that Kubrick shot on so it's uh, which great. famous
0: which famous director did you almost watch the movie with oh <laughs> uh, uh... yes
2: I, and and, I, and I, want, I want to get to Jake, too, because Jake saw it in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Oh, yeah. And we, yeah. We, and I, I, I did not remember. almost
1: see it with it. I, unfortunately, I was the most famous person in the movie theater, so your story's better. It's <laughs> still pretty well, famous, I, mean, I,
2: I didn't see him, so I, I rolled to the theater, and like an idiot, I'm like, I'm more interested in getting a picture outside. And I'm, like, framing myself <laughs> and getting the 70 millimeter. Meanwhile, apparently, Steven Spielberg was leaving the theater, and I had no idea... I don't know if it happened as I pulled up, but the concession gentleman at my theater—this is the theater in New York—it was called like Village City Cinema or something like that. Um, uh, and Spielberg had just gone to the ten AM show, uh, and I went to the one ten. Now I was in interviews for Oceans Eight at the time, so I didn't. So that's why I didn't watch it with Spielberg. So it's Sandra Bullock's fault. Um, but huh. I, I, I genuinely, apparently missed him by ten minutes. Like the concession guy said. He was there, he came up, he bought, uh, reportedly, from another concession (laughs) version, he said he bought a small popcorn and a small soda. And he watched 2001 Space Odyssey.
0: Before I get to Jake and Jake, I promise, plenty of time. I just want to know, if Kevin, if you had walked into the theater and Spielberg were there, no, you wouldn't have gone up to him?
2: uh no i i, I would he knows you him. though
0: you have you know you actually could have sat with him
2: yeah here's here's why what i would have done if i'd noticed him i'll tell you a funny story actually about the about the guy who introduced the movie and, and retracted one of his jokes when he noticed spielberg was in the audience oh, um that's it's funny. very funny uh so uh so if, if i had seen spielberg if i walked in i saw spielberg sitting there i would have freaked the hell out i would have like probably i probably would have walked out texted you guys immediately I wouldn't have said anything to him until the end of the movie because I then I wouldn't I wouldn't want to sit there with him knowing that I was there in regards to like him worrying if I was going to look over to him and go hey, this is cool isn't it or like bother him I didn't I didn't want to which I is exactly ruin what his, Kevin does in movie what I by would have way. done yeah but so I would I mean in my dream state of mind I would have the movie would have ended or intermission would have happened and I would have been like hey man well <laughs> so it's up to him and then left but apparently here's what happened so there's a guy that came out at the beginning of the movie. That introduced the projection. he was the projectionist? And he made some terrible joke about that we were about to watch a seventy millimeter unrestored print of the royal wedding. It was it was awful, but it was it, it was like undeniably cheesy, and fu- <laughs> it was funny at the time. So I talked to the concession guy. <laughs> that's pretty I thought, great. I think
1: and that's th- funny. I think that's I think pretty that's great. great. Yeah. But
2: uh, the concession <laughs> guy was telling me that <laughs> yeah. when the projectionist walked in to introduce the Spielberg showing, the ten a.m. show. Uh, apparently he looked over and saw Spielberg in the audience and did not do the royal wedding joke because he was too nervous about it. Aww. So he just he took the joke out and then just kind of said, "Enjoy 2001, whatever it was." I wasn't there, but that's what the concession person told Aww. me. He said imagine the guy,
0: being Spielberg and you don't even get to hear good jokes.
2: <laughs> I know so he, he loves corny jokes. I just can't imagine. <laughs> like I, to me, it was it's surreal to imagine Spielberg just. Here's what that moment did for me, and, and I'm sorry I'm like overtaking this part, but. Um, To me, that just shows you, like, we are on a look at our level. All right, we are fans of movies, but our generation is fans of people like Spielberg, Nolan, Tarantino, Coppola, whatever it is. Right? Then you have Spielberg's and the Nolans of the world who are just like us in regards to fandom of films they love, and then they have that same nerd out passion that we do about those filmmakers. right? Right? So Spielberg. Like, like, as crazy as that is in our mindset of how big of a deal Steven Spielberg is, he was just us walking into that theater watching 2001. Yeah. That's crazy to me That's to think so about that guy just being a fan of Kubrick and just watching his movie. And then years later, he works with the guy, and then he puts a shining scene in his Ready Player One movie. I mean, it's, it's, it's very cool and kind of put things into a weird perspective for
1: me. It's a cool year for Kubrick for Kubrick fans. Between, it really uh, so is. Ge- before getting to you know, relive uh, you know, yeah, the shining sequence and uh, which I not, not only say I forgot about, but I didn't even think about that connection. Uh,
0: Jake, before I get your review, I just want to mention that one of our uh, listeners, Colleen Colleen, Colleen I'm, sure I'm, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Her boss is letting her work in her boss's office so that she can watch this fo- this podcast while she works. And she's she's, she's a actually a
1: very vocal uh, fan of our podcast. She tweets us so, often. I um, think that's great. Give her a yeah. promotion.
0: A raise yeah. and a promotion. Hey Kalina. Massive race. Yes. Massive uh, race. Jake, you said this was like one of the most exciting things that you've ever experienced. And you've so the way you couched it is you've been able to travel the world and see a number of really amazing things. And I think partially you're doing this just to rub it in because I was not able to go see it this year. Oh weekend. yeah, I
1: absolutely hated it, but I just wanted you I just wanted you to just to be jealous well, of I, this adm- I so. admire
0: that. Hook no, up. I mean Actually, I often God, <laughs> what about, did you think
1: of you know, with the when we talk about Star Wars or or Jaws or something like The Exorcist, I always uh, miss. I always regret that I wasn't alive to have experienced those in theaters. Not yeah. just see them on the big screen. I'm not talking because these days you can see just about anything on the big screen if you live in the right city and can find the right prints. I'm talking about being a part of like a cultural movement, being right. a part of like a moment that people talk about. 25 years. I've seen Jaws on the big screen, but I can't talk about what it was like that summer that it came out and everyone stayed out of the water. Right, and right. they played 2001 at a theater in Chicago called The Music Box. Not only am I partial to it because it's a great theater, it's also where I happen to have gotten engaged. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's old school movie theater, kind of, you know, uh, not, not stadium seating, you know, it's so that very much like the sort of movie theater that people used to wear suit and ties to go to. And uh, there was a line out the door of people waiting to get in. And so I stood in line and I stood in line and got my popcorn. And then I went to this old movie theater, and to Kevin's point, like, the, the reel had, like, scratches on it, and it had, like, yeah. you know, had the, that grain that, that Kevin well, talks about, the chemical Cigarette knife. burns. I had the cigarette burns that I learned about from Tyler Durden. And so there was just <laughs> this moment where, like, I'll never know what it was like to watch it back in 1968, but I feel like that's as close as I'll ever get without actually getting there. No, no, you know, – no, you, you, Jake, you saw – Exactly
2: what people saw in 1968. Like, it's, it's not, there's just no, a, there's no question. Feeling. No, you literally saw the exact print and movie. Yeah. I mean, not the exact print, but the, right. the exact negative of what Kubrick shot and put out in 68. So you actually experienced literally the exact thing people experienced in 68. And the cool not thing
1: was, actually. too, there was, there was a father uh, a couple of rows over that had brought uh, his young daughter. And it was her, I just it was eavesdropping, um, and it was her first time seeing it. And he was kind of, preparing her a little bit in the sense that like this is not your traditional film there's not a traditional what you would think of as a plot just kind of go with it think about what this was like 50 years ago and and she seemed it wasn't like she was rolling her eyes like okay whatever dad she seemed super into it and it was a nice sort of refreshing reminder that like new film fans are born every day and i think younger generations get a knock for like not appreciation not appreciating older cinema and it was just like you know what like that's not right because like here here is one right here
0: do you think more more filmmakers because nolan is putting more 70 millimeter projections and i know that that's preventing people from going down that route is it is it just the cost of the film like is it going to prevent is tarantino still going to do experiments is nolan going to keep pushing the 70 millimeter uh, or is this uh, these one-offs that we just have to appreciate when they come around
2: but these guys are having success with the format so it's not as if money's being wasted like for example Something like a Dunkirk or um, a Dark Knight or an Interstellar, and then Tarantino. Now, Hateful Eight, I think, don't quote me, was probably not his best box office. I don't think it did anywhere near like Django numbers or things like that. Um, that was a tougher sell movie, not 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 because of the format, but just because it was. It was. I don't know. Hateful Eight wasn't as easily accessible to me to audiences as something like Django was or um, Inglorious Bastards. And I, I can double check on those numbers, but I don't think it did as well. Oh, okay. um, but I think you know the idea that the, that the greatest filmmakers of our time are still choosing to shoot this way and push things out in a, in a format of film projection or mm. shooting on film. And like people always say to me, oh, digital's the same thing. And Nolan has said recently that, listen, it, things can, co- I don't know what these are his exact words, but the idea of coexisting with digital. Digital has its place, sure. Fincher shoots digitally very well. I rewatched Sicario the other day. Deacons mastered that digital, it looked amazing. But in general, the greatest filmmakers of our time are still shooting on film for no other reason than it looks better in their mind. And it also creates a much more immersive experience. So until Spielberg or Nolan or Tarantino or Scorsese or any of these filmmakers, Edgar Wright, Ryan Johnson, JJ Abrams, until they come out and say, you know what, I'm gonna start shooting digitally. I think we need to listen to the fact that these filmmakers understand and know what they're talking about. But the problem is,
1: is that you mentioned that all all of these filmmakers are finding success shooting this way, but they've got to, at least for someone like Nolan, they've got to obtain success before they have the ability to do it. Nolan, I mean, if Nolan was still making small little independent films, no studio would let him shoot with the IMAX cameras. No studio would let him do the 70 millimeter. So Moving forward, once the days of of Spielberg and Scorsese and Tarantino are gone, the filmmakers that are finding success have to be filmmakers that share that passion. Because if they don't, then they're not going to push it. Because Warner Brothers is not going to pay $150 million for some no-name guy to go shoot a a massive IMAX blockbuster. So we need the guys that are finding success to share that same passion. So hopefully they're learning something from... Honestly, God, someone like you or someone like Spielberg, and yes, I'm gonna put the two of you in the same because <laughs> you're the only two people on this planet I've heard talk about the artist passionately. Uh, I I just really hope that 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 the and you know the directors that, that we're gonna be talking about in 20 years that maybe aren't even born yet are, are, are raised being taught the importance of something like film. But I mean to me it's interesting because it doesn't have to, just to be
2: 70 millimeter. I mean, for example, like the uh, like Paul Thomas Anderson shot Phantom Thread* on 35, right? And the movie is then blown up to 70. Um, now he shot The Master on 65 millimeter. You can still shoot 35 and release a film in 70 millimeter. Um, but not just those filmmakers that have big success are doing that. Um, look at the guys who made good time. The Safety brothers, they shot that movie on 35 millimeter film. Um, La La Land was shot on 35 millimeter film. Now, that was a 20 million dollar budget, but yeah. But
1: I mean, I mean, there's a difference though, I think, isn't there between in terms of like how much it costs because of the uh, equipment between shooting a 35 millimeter film and a 70 millimeter film? Like, I mean, it oh, is 100, like, you've yeah, got to I mean, go well, old school. Well,
2: Well, like for example, with with Tarantino, well, you shoot sixty five, and then it gets projected on seventy. Nolan is shooting uh, IMAX sixty five, so that's Mm -hmm. why that's a bit of a different format. So, for example, when when uh, when uh, Paul Thomas Anderson shoots The Master, he's shooting sixty five millimeter film, non IMAX dunkirk was shot 65 mil non-imax and then also imax film so there's two different formats happening there um but generally speaking, dark knight's a great example of this by the way if you saw dark knight in imax uh you went back and forth between 35 millimeter filmmaking and 65 millimeter imax filmmaking and that jump was massive if you saw it on, a, on an imax in fact, if, you, if you watch
1: it on blu-ray it still does that does it's the still same does. thing but yeah i actually someone i just uh, saw someone tweeted if you buy it in 4k it no longer does the They like did something to it. They changed the format. It no really? longer jumps. It apparently I, I could be wrong. If someone out there has the 4k and I'm wrong, let me I know. I have it, but I just, I'll, I read, I'll, I'll
2: put it in. Yeah. Someone I said hope, that you have like the
1: ones that just came out, the new 4k that just came out. Apparently it does not make the jump,
2: but like 2001, for example, and, and I know we're going to move on, but like, and Gabe, I, I, you know, saw it as well. And Jake saw it as well. Also, got, I, saw, I want
1: to talk about this book too.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, I just, mine comes in Wednesday. My, uh, have to think about like filmmakers today and they're so reliant on cgi technology and you look at someone like kubrick who in 1968 made a film that still holds up today that looks spectacular um and to me it just goes into the idea of are we ruining movies with this tool and i think the tool is meant to um to add to what the filmmaker did. So, for example, to me, the best marrying ever of CGI and practical effects was Jurassic Park.
1: Jurassic Park.
2: The, yeah, because Spielberg at the time had access to CG. He wanted his dinosaur to run, and he made it happen, but he did what he did in camera first and then enhanced it with CGI technology.
1: He only used CGI That's, if he had to, if he had no other choice. It was a last at, resort. Right,
0: right,
2: and look at Jurassic World. Right. That movie doesn't hold up because it relied so heavily on CG, uh, except for the scene where they actually did an animatronic dinosaur. When they go up and that dinosaur is dying and they kind of go up and pet it. That felt real. Um, well, I also so want to bring I up think- Jurassic
0: Park because that's the movie where, since I didn't get to watch 2001, that's the movie where when you talk about magical moments, when that came back for its 30th anniversary uh, and played theaters it was like being back when that movie opened. Like it was still magical to people to experience that on the big screen. And a lot of older people brought younger kids to see it for the first time. But, but a lot of these people are introduced to this movie on a DVD and yeah. DVDs now as a family man will tell you they're watched in the backs of cars on laptop computers or on small screens. And there's just nothing that compares with being in the dark theater and seeing something on a big screen and the sound, the sound is so important to that experience. Jake, what was your
2: uh, overall view of what you saw? I mean, like, in regards to, like, there's two different elements I'm asking you for. The experience of seeing it in 70 and then the film itself. Like, what was your – how did you react to it?
1: Uh, it was pretty astounding to the point where, I mean, I feel like if you can watch a movie that's 50 years old and still ask yourself the question, how did they do that? Yeah. Then you've done something right. I mean, I'd argue – a majority, even movies that came out that come out today, we know film well enough. We can look at it and go, "Oh, he probably did this, and then he probably did that, and they probably took a little bit of this, and maybe we don't know the, the 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 proper nomenclature or the exact order in which they do something." But to watch an entire sequence, and especially knowing the limitations he's working with, it's just simply astounding, and it's just like I don't I don't understand. And then it goes into the whole debate between myself and Kevin where, like, I don't yeah. want to know to a lot yeah. of Greek. Granted, I'm reading a book about it, and I want to give Gabe, our producer Gabe, a quick shout-out because he recommended this book. Um, I'm going to hold it up to the, for people that uh, are watching live, but for people that are listening uh, days later, it's called Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick, Arthur C. Clarke, and the Making of a Masterpiece. It's by Michael Benson. It just came out this year uh, to celebrate its 50th anniversary, and it's just this unbelievably well-researched, well-written uh, history of uh, Arthur C. Clarke and his collaboration with Kubrick, and how they sort of became this team, and how like it's just, I, I, and that's where I'm, I'm sort of in. Pre- the, I'm in the chapter called pre-production right now. It's unbelievably fascinating, and you know it's good because there's a quote from Tom Hanks on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and, Wait, and does, does the J, does the does the book dive
2: into the filmmaking, the aspect of how he shot things? Exactly. I, I haven't gotten
1: there yet. Okay,
2: so I and, and, if and it so it's
1: right now. I'm I'm in sort of in the like where Stanley Cooper kind of decided that he wanted to make a science fiction film, and as he famously described it, a pretty good science fiction film, because at the time, science fiction films were trash. Yeah. And so yeah. he uh, was pointed in the direction of Arthur C. Clarke, who was one of the most well-respected science fiction authors of his time, and he wrote a short story called The Sentinel, because he, he always wanted to get into films, and he kind of thought the moment was going to pass him, and he needed to make it happen. And he wrote a short story called The Sentinel, which is sort of the, the basis for... Um, the, the the second sequence of the film in which when the light hits the monolith and it sort of sets off like a what they refer to as like a fire alarm because it's yeah. this idea that it, it's buried in the moon and if we're smart enough to get to the moon and dig it out then they need to know that this this th- th- these people have reached the point of, of, of technology where they can do it so that's the whole obviously if, that's if you've never seen two thousand one that's the whole concept is that we and then we follow to Jupiter where that that fire fire alarm is going can I ask a dumb question all right so I
2: to this day i still don't fully understand the film overall and i think there's a lot of questions that need that are still unanswered clearly i know kubrick wanted that to be up to your interpretation i'm sure you guys all agree with that right mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. so in the beginning of the film so the monolith the scene you're referring to jake with the gentleman on the moon and they find that monolith buried that's been buried there for like what would they say yeah. four million years, or years what, what? yeah so where are the apes at the beginning of the film are they not on earth
1: no, I think I'm that's, that's that To me, that's the dawn of man. That's millions of right. years before. Mm-hmm. But the
2: monolith goes there. Who buried the monolith in the
1: moon? I uh, you it was you, the you it. assume the same alien creatures. There, that one of Arthur C. Clarke's famous beliefs. And by no means am I like super smart and know all this. I'm just reading the book. Um, <laughs> is that you know <laughs> we we so many of us look forward to the time in which we're going to be visited by aliens. And right. what's to say that it hasn't already happened? So this, I, I interpret it as this idea that they came down to Earth, sort of saw what they were working with, that being the dawn of man and sort of the apes that would right. eventually evolve into us. And so they put this, for lack of a better phrase, a, a fire alarm on the moon, which was that when we get smart enough and we develop the technology to get to the moon and dig it out and the sun hits it for the first time in four million years, it sends a signal to those alien creatures saying, hey, those apes you just saw... They're now smart enough to get to this point. And that's the point Mm -hmm. that they wanted to know. So is it it the same monolith that's on the moon that was on Earth? I I, I don't understand that. I I don't know. I I couldn't tell you. I mean, who am I to say? Um, I I, I didn't really think of it in that sense. And then last question.
2: At the end of the film, the baby, uh, what are your thoughts on what that is?
1: I—I I mean, that's—that's that's definitely. I mean, I, not definitely. This one's for things. Definitely, two thousand one. That's Dave Reborn. I don't know. This I, is the Space Child? Right. What do you? What do you say, Sean? I don't... Yeah, I'm curious I what think you guys I think it's been years since because...
0: I've watched it and I, I should probably revisit it. Is it, it not before, playing in
1: years? To... Oh, that's
0: right. No, I have a really old DVD um, <laughs> and, that and I not just put that, in.
1: The old Warner Brothers
0: Snapcase. Yeah, I love the old Brothers yeah. case. I held it up yeah. in the text chain and took a picture of my sad face holding my old <laughs> DVD. Aww. I don't even want to watch it. It's not even... It, I can't justify putting it in the player. I might he as is... well dig up a DV, uh, DVR, VCR out of my closet and try to try rewatch it.
2: We so. assume it's baby Dave clearly because of what just occurred inside that right. room with the different ages and the different right. things. But what is the explanation for it? Like what do you
0: what, what, uh, I always took mindset- it as like
1: uh, the next level of evolution that that we don't even have the ability to explain. Um right now where I'm at in the book, they're coming up with the story and they're trying to figure out what the plot. And interesting enough, Stanley Kubrick apparently Hated the concept of a plot. He always thought that the plot weighted down a movie because it makes us have to like look forward to what's happening, as opposed to appreciating mm. the moment in itself. Which is why you know one of the reasons famously two thousand one wow. doesn't really have a plot.
2: Yeah, um, that's actually very interesting. And, well, I didn't uh, even think about that. So I, I think heard he
0: wanted it to be about corn. Isn't that what he said? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, th- my yeah,
2: Interstellar 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 I understand
1: joke, that reference. But,
0: <laughs> no, but 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 that's a
2: great that's a great point though because you're right. Two thousand one genuinely does not have a plot. I mean, there really it, it has like, a general idea. Yeah, the first act of that movie is literally you're just watching the dawn of man occur, and nothing's it's it's genuinely just that. And then the second half,
1: that that what he says about that the the idea being that that the dawn of man is whenever they they discovered violence, like whenever they mm. discovered murder. So, I think which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Well the yeah. point being, if this is playing anywhere near you, go see it. Um, if you're even a few cities over, take the train and go find it. Um last these question. guys cannot recommend it highly enough. Jake has a book that he recommends too. Kevin has one last question.
2: The famous music that's used in the film, how much of that was previously written prior that's, to the that's movie?
0: old like
1: eighteen hundreds music. Right. Mm-hmm. Is all all of it though, every the, bit of it? Well the like, the, the parts this, that I'm assuming you're
0: thinking no, of the dun The blue Danube. The blue
1: the
2: and then there's an, and then what about the music used around the monolith? that's, that, like, that, horrific, that's also that. Oh, the oh, the monolith. The, I, I just thought the, that was the, a sound effect. That horrific, like it's like a bunch of voices and like you know what I'm talking about. Like it's, I'm curious how because that music in our minds, is synonymous with 2001. Right. right. So I wondered how much of it had been written, that piece you're referring to from the 1800s, but how much of the other stuff was written.
0: Jake hasn't prior. read that far in the book. I you know, I, I do sure. know that they He's actually, and you can, you can find it,
1: they hired uh, a guy to write the score for 2001, right. and he mm. put in that the music that you know of as a temporary hold while they were working on the film, and he oh, discovered wow. that it worked so much that he scrapped... The score you can go find it. You can find the score that was written for two thousand one. His name um, was
0: Franz Zimmer, and his son would later <laughs> go on to become. And his <laughs> son, very, weirdly uh, enough, John Williams yes, actually. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. So the, the the music was just supposed to be a temporary hold. He didn't put it in there on purpose. Like wow. like a lot of a lot of times, if you see a lot of films, they they put in music from other movies.
0: When we did Kubrick blend, uh, Kevin picked The Shining. Kevin, would you change your pick?
1: I would now. Hmm.
0: Too bad you can't.
2: i would would now after that experience i had. enjoy the
0: shining i want to circle back around to star wars um to solo because i kind of feel like after this weekend we're going to put a a, a lid on it and not talk about it anymore Um, so i want to do okay i did i I want to do my uh spoiler filled conversation because i have some questions i want jake to answer so Gabe is putting in the um, Facebook feed that we are now going to transition to Solo, a Star Wars story. Spoilers, if you guys have not seen the film, please stop watching. If you're listening days later and you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Come back later. Please, God, go see it. Someone go see this movie. Jake, I want to ask a question because one thing that really bothers me about movies lately is um, a, a tease at the end of the film that's supposed to promise more story and sometimes nothing comes of it. Uh, whether it be Deathstroke uh, meeting Lex Luthor in the Justice League movie <laughs> um, or Tom Cruise launching a dark universe uh, as a mummy. <laughs> and I want to ask if you think we're going to get a payoff to Darth Maul showing up in Solo, or is that going to become something there where Lucasfilm was just like, well, it was cool when we did that. I I
1: do think we're going to... And I don't I, ne- I didn't necessarily um, interpret that scene. And, Ke- and Kevin, feel free to jump in anytime. time. I didn't interpret that scene as... Darth Maul is going to be more involved with Han Solo down the line. To me, it was a uh, a little signifier for people that don't watch Clone Wars or don't watch Rebels to, hey, just a heads up, uh, Darth Maul is alive. And so when we use him in other movies that have nothing to do with Solo, don't be surprised when we bring him back. I think it was, honestly, mm. them setting him up to be a part of the Kenobi movie. Uh, for people that watch Rebels, they know that that Darth Maul and, and Kenobi end up having this big epic battle back on Tatooine. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a cinematic version of that. In fact, I'd prefer if we got a cinematic version because the the fight in Rebels is a little low-key. Yeah, key it's not as epic over. as you're yeah, selling it's not, it, to not, it Yeah, no, it's not nearly seconds. as cool as you would think it would be. Um, I think they're, they were doing it that way so we start having these conversations. In fact, when I got to work on Monday, all eight people that saw Solo came up to me and they're like, <laughs> hey, explain to me how Darth Maul is still alive uh and i sort of had to say well okay here's the situation he willed himself back and he now he's got mechanical legs and it's a whole thing and i think they did that essentially to set us up for him returning in another person's movie
0: interesting hmm
2: yeah it, it, that scene to me didn't have the mind blowing effect that i think it had a lot of people in the audience when we saw it i was just like okay i mean like darth maul <laughs> to me was was a great part of phantom menace and he was Probably my favorite part of *Phantom Menace*. Uh, that's the best John Williams theme that was written in that whole thing. Was that fight scene with Darth Maul? What was that called the Duel of Fates? Duel it's of Fates, so, baby. It's so good. Um, yeah, I mean the Darth Maul thing. It's an interesting question. I, I would say that they that that was there as a setup to include him in future storylines heavily. I mean, I feel like, but for Solo specifically, because 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 Han, I mean, Han
1: Solo can never meet him. It doesn't make any my, sense.
2: Here's my. I know. Here. I know. I don't. I don't think that solo would ever physically meet darth maul i think what would my theory is why can't he meet him
1: because he told luke and obi-wan uh i've never so i've I've been from one side of this galaxy to the other and i've never seen anything that's made me believe in some all-powerful force okay why is so why is solo why is solo cast out of that that's what what he he, han Han solo Solo tells that that at the at in a new hope when they board the millennium falcon and they're going to alderaan he right, tells him that essentially seen, yeah. he's never seen anything that's made him believe in Jedi's or the Force or you know. Oh, oh, you're saying Solo said. I think I think you said Maul no. said that. I was like, no, Maul, no, Solo, thinking. Solo said that. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, yeah. you know, so so why keep putting uh, Darth Maul in your Han Solo movies if he's not going to have anything to do with your main character? And if there's that's not, and if we know there's not going to be any kind of payoff where he's going to ultimately fight him. It, it just right. doesn't make any sense.
2: Which, by the way, uh, the line you bring up from New Hope when he says that uh, it adds so much more weight to the moment in Force Awakens when he says it's all true, and like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 that whole that whole arc is amazing. But the um, my theory on the Darth Maul thing, I, 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 if they make two more of these, I think it's going to come down to an a point where he's going to have to kill Amelia Clark. I genuinely oh, uh, Han absolutely. Solo is, and I, yeah. I think that that's going to be the turning point of his arc, which really kind of turns him into this cynical, uh, very arrogant type of guy who just genuinely uh, is all about himself. All you know, in whatever the Han that we know is Ford's version. You guys I think Han
1: s- is going to have to kill Kira. I, I think, think so too. I, I, that's I, what I thought was going to happen in this movie. Damn, actually.
0: that's dark. Dude, I she has, she, she she has watch to watch him, him or
1: die. die. Look
2: at him shoot Woody. So when he, when he shoots... Uh, we're in spoiler territory now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoiler oh, so we're, we're looking at spoiler territory okay.
1: in the rearview mirror. We're so
2: in when he shoots Woody Harrelson's character, that was that was a kind of, I guess in my mind, set a play on the whole Greedo, shooting Greedo, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. shoot first thing, um, which kind of settles the whole debate there, thankfully. But the, the concept of him kind of going to that side and him telling Kira, I'm a bad guy, even though we, we know he doesn't really feel that way or we we don't think he's a bad guy at that moment i don't think i've ever thought of han as a bad person um but i think that he gets eventually so jaded by the reality of what happens with the kira situation Hmm. that that's kind of the person that we know han to be and jake has a great theory or idea that i think would be brilliant if they actually have him walking into the cantina at the end of the third solo theoretically and you know then we walk in and that's that's the ford we know and the, and the, and, the, and the solo we know
1: um i genuinely I, I, don't, I don't think we get another not at least i know not, no pun intended i don't think we get another solo solo movie you solo made a good too. point
2: though i think it was on your twitter i read this somewhere that you turn this these three films into individualized characters that revolve around solo so you yeah. go yeah, that's you know getting what? off
1: the baton of the story
0: yeah, right, so Jake, talk about that, because we've had this in the text chain, too, but lay that out, how you would, instead of doing a traditional Han Solo sequel, you'd rather they go in this direction.
1: Right, I mean, and, and right now, there are a lot of sort of, um, uh, you know, spinning plates right now in terms of the, the, the solo characters they're talking about doing. Lando's been talked about, Kenobi's been talked about, and at this point now, Boba Fett's been talked about. I right. think if you're going to make a trilogy, if you're going to make an overarching story, have a different character be the focus of each film. So we got the right. solo one, and have a loose thread connects Solo to potentially Boba Fett and have him carry the next chapter of that story and then have when Boba Fett lando ends, have it ha- either Lando or Kenobi and have him carry and have it be one overarching story that, that has consequences on all the characters but have the focus of each one be different. So now let I me ask a question. I love that idea. I really I do. do too.
0: Now, because they tease Jabba at the end of Solo... Where Han says there's a gangster on Tatooine that has a mission. Yeah. Do you think that they have that plan? Or I, do you? Th- well, the if movie Boba Fett's ends with next.
1: The, then yes.
0: Yeah, the movie
2: ends with the idea clearly, and the movie ends with the idea that there is going to be more. I mean, clearly they they have the end of the film positions the film to move on. Right. Um, and there's clearly story that hasn't been told. I think the Boba Fett idea is. Well, Boba Fett shows up what an Empire for the first time, right? No, we don't... Boba
1: Fett for the first wow. time showed up in the well, holiday the... special.
2: Okay, uh, but but in yeah. the original trilogy, he's an Empire. Yeah, he showed first. up an Empire, yeah.
1: yeah. So because, I, because I... there's a great Han Solo story where like he had to smuggle drugs. The whole reason Boba Fett's coming after him, the whole reason Jabba's coming after him, is because Han Solo was essentially a drug smuggler and then right. ran into the Empire and had to dump the drugs, and and then and lost Jabba a ton of money. And that's but, that's the job that he's going to do. But mm-hmm. the line
2: you're referring to from New Hope when he says, I've been across the galaxy and I haven't seen anything that would make me believe in the Force. Um, could he be lying? Could he be just uh, not thinking about – or maybe the, he blocked that aspect out. I mean, you never know. I, mean, like if it, uh,
1: I, I think I, I if you think start doing that, you run into a really – because then, then you can make the argument, then what's the point that we believe any of these characters then? Like if you could just come back and rewrite it as, oh, he was lying, then yeah. – so then, if,
2: okay. But if Han has to kill Kira, so let us yes. let, let, say that theory plays out. I mean, the, to me, I'm that's not the on most board with that. I think. That oh, I dark. love it. Oh, I, I love it. I, I think that's a very that's strong storyline yeah. because, it, because 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 it, it it's something that's going to make him the Han that we know. Yes. I think I genuinely think it's going to shut him off emotionally, which is why. And I actually I think it'll add to the whole idea of his and Leia's romance and that idea of him trying to finally latch on to somebody again but unwillingly um, so it'll i add think a
1: significance it to it it'll have a, it'll add a weight 100%. to it other than just you know oh because these days i feel yeah. like we kind of just put han and leia together han and leia han and leia because it's all that's right. the way it's always been but yeah. when you write it as like he had to get over the fact that he killed his freaking girlfriend right it right. adds more of a significance and more of a weight oh, yeah. to his relationship with leia Kevin it would actually
2: change it would actually change emotionally how i feel about empire i think um, only because of the idea of thinking of him unwillingly falling for somebody. I guess you, you start to see him fall for her slightly in, in New Hope, yes. slightly, because him and him and, uh, Luke are doing that whole bit about, like, you know, she likes me, she's like, whatever. But I think it would be a lot more, as Jake said, too, emotionally weighted on us as an audience member. It would make more sense why he's so arrogant and so against anybody Letting himself I think he has to kill Kira. I think that has to happen. Because why why else is he become that guy? We see it a little bit in this movie. And the Woody scene really is kind of a jump for him, clearly. Right. But he had doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate. To know but, he I mean how right. much
1: do we how much more do we really get of him though? I mean, like if we get the Boba Fett movie, and in theory the Boba Fett movie picks up with Han like getting like, arriving into Jabba's palace and then right. Boba Fett takes it from there, I mean, how much is Han really involved with that movie? Yeah. Well, I think I think Lando's if they if they do it as you're saying, if they go
2: Boba Pet second and they go I think they go Lando third, in my opinion, if they do it. Um, then the Lando aspect obviously comes brings Han back in very heavily. Yeah. Clearly. So I
1: wonder But I don't I'd, I'd ar- argue the box office has convinced them not to do that.
2: But I wonder yeah I mean it, it's it's a very interesting thing but are you, are they going to examine it and go okay we're leaving it in May or leaving it in December and we're going to leave it up uh, cuz here's my problem with solo and you guys can disagree with me all you want the problem with that film was the script I mean I genuinely don't think it's a good script I think it's a right. very bad script and I think there is great performances You think it's a very
1: bad script?
2: I'll tell you why. There's a couple there's a lot there was a lot of things I didn't like about the script. The reason I, I like Solo, I think the movie works. It's fun. It's passable. It's fine. Uh, to me, it works because of Alden, because he's amazing in the role. Amelia's amazing. Woody's amazing. Everybody on camera. Lando. Everybody. Glover. Awesome performances. It's a very bad script, and I and I say that because. Well, specifically the two scenes. You know, I'm talking about the name scene. Now sure. that we're in spoiler, spoiler territory, I could not. I cannot. I cringe every time I see. I think about the Han Solo name scene.
1: But is you're, you're talking it? about one eighth of I a know. script
2: page. But let me get to other things about that script. I mean, first of all, it's a very, very poorly paced movie. It's not. It is dragging in the middle slightly, and in the end, it it just kept going and going and going. Like the Kessel Run is so cinematic and intense and then it just kind of comes to a halt and then you have the Enfys character coming in and doing and that that to me was interesting the whole switcheroo with betny and woody that was cool but i mean there was it felt ch- uh, chunky and it did, it just felt like it was not paced so well do you think that they rushed well. these
0: movies into production do you think that oh, they well, say we have to deliver on this and they don't have the scripts in place
2: listen i don't know for sure what happened on that set but i would imagine if i was guessing and i can only guess that miller and lord uh, reportedly, went off script. Is that that's what we've heard? Right? They, yeah. They were... they, well, they shot
0: okay. they shot the script and then they had their actors shoot other takes Alts, in an effort right? to potentially be more funny or because right. they rely heavily on improv in the films that they did prior to this.
2: Like, there's a bit in the in the movie, and I, I thought was screenwriting 101, and it just shouted at me like this guy is trying to or John and and Lawrence Kasdan. There's a bit where in the middle of the film, Amelia Clark's character says to Han. You know, when I th- I thought about you while you were gone, I did something, right? And then at the end of the movie, it's like that classic call back to the line. It's like, as she's walking out the door, I smiled. That's what I thought about. It, it was To me, it was like this, it, I just don't like what a screenplay calls attention to itself. And it's screaming to me that, I know these are very minor things, but they really took me out of the movie. They really did. I mean, uh, but I don't know. I,
1: I, I'm very much a believer that you can make... A bad movie with a good script, but you can't make a good movie with a bad script i I, mm. I have a hard time believing that it's a good movie but a bad script because I just don't think you one can turn into the other
2: I just don't think it's a good script I, and i I just genuinely found it to be very very middle of the road writing. like nothing in the thing jumped off the screen for me it was it was always just passable and it worked mm. and it was entertaining at times, but it just felt dry and very. I don't know. It just felt very blah to me. I don't know. How, I don't know. How you, I don't know where you guys are at on that, but I don't know well, if Gabe saw it or Sean saw it. But I, 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 I
0: just, I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, I, I, think of the, of all the commentary that's that's being thrown out about Solo, um, the one that rings the most true to me, and then we'll move on to Star Wars Blend after this because I want to give us time to talk about those. Is that it felt like um, a routine summer blockbuster movie. And, and, and a Star wars movie whether fair or not uh should be elevated to a level where it's more special than that and I think that that's true and I think that but but I think that's a short-term problem because I think when December 2019 rolls around episode 9 is gonna feel like the event that a Star wars movie should feel like so maybe it's timing maybe it's the subject matter I wasn't th- super excited for a Han Solo movie but if it were more fun I would have been way on board. Um, I just genuinely think there's a, there's a massive
2: massive drop in quality from Force Awakens to Solo and, I, and, and and having seen Force Awakens which is one of my favorite Star Wars movies uh, it, it is hard not to think about the quality that Disney was putting into that movie compared to what we saw on screen with Solo. Mm. Solo also cinematography wise it's a gorgeous film but it, it feels glossy uh, and it's shot digitally.
1: And but it's a, and also, I have, too, I feel like that the episodes are always sort of meant to be. To me, the stories were always supposed to be like sort of the equivalent of like the independent films of Star Wars, as opposed right. to the episodes were always these more grand, epic adventures. Though, by definition, the whole story was just supposed to be these small, little, tiny pockets of fun, little. So a little side story, like a little fun. Know, but you there's, know
0: what? Prior to this, we never had these little one-offs. It was always just the the chapters of the trilogy that we were getting. This is a new thing for Star Wars, and maybe it, there's just an, there's an essence of training the audience for but what's Rogue to One come. Rogue One
2: worked. Rogue and Rogue One is not, not a film that I loved, but looking back at Rogue
1: One, yeah. But I mean that's it, cheating it, though, because that's basically like you know if, if if a New Hope is is you know Episode four, then Rogue One is like Episode three point nine. It's basically an episode. But oh, yeah. That, but Rogue, Rogue One to me... Yeah. But nothing
2: in Solo blew me away. Right. Something in Rogue One blew my mind, and that was the last 30 minutes. And 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 what, I, I was reading an interview recently, or I'm oh, sorry, I interviewed a gentleman recently. What, what was the Burt Reynolds movie that came out recently where he was like the Smokey last... Smokey and the Bandit. No, no, the last star. He was like, it was about the idea of an actor losing the, his A-list ability throughout the years and kind of looking back on his career. I can't remember the name of the film off the top of my head, but the filmmaker yeah, who made that movie... It
1: may have been, I think it was called The Last Star or something yeah. like
2: that. He had a great point. And he goes, you can win an audience completely in the last act. Your movie can be crap the mm. first two acts. And you can literally win your audience in the third act. That's, That's what fair. Rogue One did. *Rogue I think One, people come
0: out of the movie talking about the last thing they saw.
2: Oh, yeah. Rogue One... And, and again, I don't agree that that makes a good movie. I actually think that that's a bad thing if, like, the third act is great and everything else is just mediocre and you walk out on a high because of the third act being so good. And that kind of sways people's opinions because they don't really... They think back to the first two acts of the movie and they go, "Mm, the third act was really cool, though. But but Rogue One blew my mind in the third act i think it did everybody i mean it was the best vader scene in the history of star wars no question
1: there I, there act. is nothing in solo that's better than the last act of rogue one nothing i'll, I'll right. give you that but i'd argue that a majority
0: of solo is better than the first two acts of rogue one yeah. Yeah. that'd be true all right so we're nitpicking now let's get to our top three um and yeah. the way that producer gabe sort of said that we should do this week's hashtag star wars blend is all of us just give our three our our top three Um, like each of us go one at a time instead of doing like, here's all of our number ones. Here's all of our number twos. Because what we think is that the number three, uh, and all of our list is going to be the the conversation starter. So I want to start with, with Kevin, because he seems like he has a pretty interesting (laughs) list. And so Kevin, give your three, one, two, and three. We'll quickly comment on them and then Jake will go and then I'll go. And then we'll just sort of see where we're at after that. It's interesting because
2: I, I, I probably switch this in my mind daily or weekly. Um, so, at the moment, I'm feeling this way. Next week, I'll feel a different way. But these three films are always, in my mind, in the contention of the best Star Wars 3, no question. It's just okay. where I order them. Uh, Empire clearly is number one. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think anybody is going to go against that. Okay. Um, I I think number two is The Force Awakens. And yeah. I and I think a lot... I think. I thought a that lo- was coming. And I think it's interesting because... And, And I think it's that because of the criticism of it being so similar to New Hope, Uh, I think it's a better version of New Hope. Oddly enough, Um, I know you guys can crush me all you want.
1: You can't have.
0: You can't have. I really do. The other. All right. So what's what's (laughs) what is? I don't even care what three is anymore. I kind of care what three is. Three is New Hope. Three is New Hope.
2: Yeah. I, I don't see why this is that controversial. I don't. I don't think this is that controversial. If I, if I was being controversial, Last Jedi would be number one, and I've seen people have that on their list. Right. Um, but, but but I just think you
0: the can't f- have number two without number three.
2: You can't have Empire without number one. So how do you put New Hope first? That goes against th- what you're
0: saying. Do you think?
2: Wait 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 what what, wait, what,
0: what wait, do you No you're right. You're right. I understand your point. But let your me ask point a question. Is... I want to ask a question between Force Awakens and and New Hope. Is okay. it so fun? The, is it the production value? Is is that what you mean? Production value? It's better made?
2: I mean, I think production value, I think the
1: pacing.
0: Uh,
2: oh, definitely pacing. Right. Um I just characters. Find... You like
1: you like the characters in and Force Awakens more than
2: I'll tell you why I think Force Awakens is a better film than New Hope. It all comes down to the Han's death scene. I think okay. that's, in my opinion, the most emotion I've ever felt in a Star Wars movie. Um, genuinely I... just destroyed me, and I think it's a beautifully directed scene. I think it's honestly my favorite directed scene in the whole Star Wars... I don't know. I gotta think about that for a second. This is I just one think... of
0: those... If you're not watching the show live... You, you guys need could to kill me all seen. you want. No, but I will say I'll say this. The first time I saw New Hope and so I was I'm I'm older than you guys are. The the Obi-Wan are death you? was stunning. The Obi-Wan death had the same emotional impact that um right. that Han's death had. Because at that point we just weren't used to our films killing off our heroes we hadn't seen it that often and it was really it grabbed audiences by the by the throat and it was just it was stunning
1: honestly for me i think the most emotional moment in all of star wars is from a movie that's not even in my top three it's the uh the scene sand on the the, uh, conversation yes sand (laughs) uh in revenge of the sith on mustafar the like i hate you you were my brother you were supposed to be the chosen to me that's the one because that's like that reminds you to me it, that, that remind that does two things it does it makes you look at stuff that came before and stuff that came after differently it makes you look at their relationship from the first two movies and then makes yeah. you realize it, it, to me it adds to the killing scene where Vader kills Obi-Wan just yes. this like they were brothers they were best yeah. friends they were and, cool. and that's that's the that's that's the scene right. that gets me
2: when it all comes down to it JJ Abrams is a better filmmaker than George Lucas and that's really what it comes down to and I think I that, I that the force awakens is a better film. Uh, and now now here's the question. Are we ranking these as favorites or best?
0: Best. We're ranking best, the three
2: okay. best. So I think the Force Awakens is a better film than the New Hope. Now a New Hope <laughs> may be a favorite uh right. over Force Awakens, but remember you guys have to be choosing on quality here. Best film oh, no, of no the Oh, I'm three. choosing on quality.
0: And Jake, New Hope is
2: not a better film than Force Awakens as Jake, a quality type of movie, in my opinion. Jake
0: Jake, go ahead.
1: Uh number one's Empire. Yes. Uh, my number two is A New Hope. Okay. And uh, the number three best Star Wars film, based on quality, is The Return of the Jedi. Oh. No. Oh.
0: Okay. I.
1: I mean, oh. say what you want to about the new films. Oh. And, and and knock Return of the Jedi. Oh wait, we're not getting into it yet, are we? We're we're just we're yeah, just... you can yeah, you can. No, that's fine. Go. Uh, I can. think uh, the Jabba's palace sequence and and the Scarlack is all time classic Star Wars. Agree. Um, I think uh, Endor, say what you want to about Ewoks. I mean, every Star Wars movie has aspects that I would sort of pluck out. Pretty cringy. Um, I, think, I think that planet is incredibly creative. Yeah. And I'd argue the blend of the three battle sequences at the end, between father and son, in space, trying to destroy Death Star 2, and the Battle of Endor, are all beautifully woven to, in my opinion, be probably the best action sequence of all the Star Wars movies because you're blending battles at three different levels, big intergalactic massive, uh, this idea of uh, small natives versus a massive corporation. And then this idea of uh, small personal father son, the fact that they're blend all of those together. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. I think Luke of, aboard the death star wearing all the black with the green lightsaber, just beautifully filmed um i i think it's just you know return of the jedi gives us stuff we we hadn't seen before and stuff we haven't seen since
2: i think return of the jedi is the temple of doom of of star wars I, I, and i say that because temple of doom and return of the jedi have the best opening scene out of the entire uh, out of the three uh, the main three films mm-hmm. temple of doom's opening is so freaking amazing and then the re- opening of return of the jedi is honestly the best opening of any star wars movie it is unbelievably well done so i just it's hard i I love return of the jedi i just don't like i don't love the third act as much as you do see
1: i think the third act is fantastic
2: but then i i gotta say one thing before we move on to sean jake's the biggest star wars fan i've ever met in my life so i love star wars i star Wars pushed all over my house my wife and i love star wars but i'm not in it as much as Jake has. And, and, okay. so. and, and I
1: I, I, snap, I snipped, snapped Snope uh, at someone on Twitter. <laughs> snoped, uh, snoped, uh On Twitter Snope, this snoped. morning because I'm very much, and, and I sort of <laughs> had to say this a lot over the weekend because of Solo, that, that especially when it comes to Star Wars movies, opinions are just opinions. I know we're giving Kevin a hard time and it's funny because I, I don't comprehend his ranking and I have a hard time sort of seeing it. But by no means am I trying to imply that I am right and he is wrong. Because there, opinions are, by definition, just that. But there opinions. is an
2: aspect to someone of your level of fandom for Star Wars. No, um, because, because, I,
1: because I'd argue you're a bigger Deadpool fan than I am. But I have I have the capacity within myself to say that I didn't like Deadpool 2 more than Deadpool 1. And I don't think oh, that I, my opinion is any less important because I like it less than other people.
2: I agree, but what my point is, I think you're more invested in the Star Wars universe than I am in regards to uh, the number of times you've seen the films and things like that. I think that your opinion on the ranking is probably more in tune with what Star Wars fans feel than somebody who's a fan but not as an obsessive fan in regards to somebody who's like really in tune with every aspect of the things that are in the canon and not in the movie. So um, that's I just want to make sure right. the listeners out there understand where I'm coming from. That I'm not on the same level of fandom as Jake is, and but also I, I
1: don't what what is the general fan consensus on Return of the Jedi? I'm not actually. Sh- I mean, is that something like? Did I don't they, know. Are the three that I gave like the common three, or like? What no, is, I think what is,
0: the, I think Return of the Jedi doesn't get enough credit for sticking the landing in the way that we've seen too many trilogies fumble in the yeah. third chapter, and that one brings really satisfying conclusion to... Um, a storyline, and and I think that that's a lot harder to do than people realize, yeah. and so, yeah, I would give Return of the Jedi, while, while I think it's it's just dated, it's just, a it's it feels like an old movie, whereas yeah. Empire and New Hope, to me, sort of transcend the time that they were made. That's they fair. Still, yeah. You could put them on now, and it's still pretty timeless. I can't watch Return of the Jedi and those speeder bikes on Endor, which <laughs> probably was super exciting back in the day, and it was. I had Trapper Keepers that had, like, jungle luke and leia on them and it was amazing but now if you go back and watch it it's like the worst special effect it's like i can't watch any conversation of actors in a car because all i see is the screen that's wrapped um, around, unless it's a quentin tarantino movie I, why does he actually do cars he,
1: he does it does it well, he, like when he does the car scenes and he does Kill like the, yeah the uh, and oh, even yeah. uh the taxi well, scene in uh pulp fiction
2: Pulp Fiction. That's all screen, and I think he actually wants it to look like that. I mean, like oh. it, 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 yeah, his is yeah, deliberate. he did that on
1: purpose.
0: Yeah, his I always
2: the, the worst one to me and Terminator Two is my, one, of my, one of my favorite films of all time. The worst one to me is the is the the screenshot they have where um, it's Arnold, Linda Hamilton, and John Connor all in the car after Robert Patrick chases them out of the <laughs> building, right. and that whole sequence is it just looks really bad <laughs> like the blue you can tell they're on a stage yeah all right
0: well here's my list really fast um empire one so we all have can i, can I guess
2: yeah. where you're gonna go yeah sure of course you're gonna go empire new yes. hope yes. force awakens correct
0: yeah correct interesting um uh, and really um and i'll use my time because you guys have made amazing points about each of those um empire has to be number one and in the debate between new hope and force awakens I just can't not give credit to the one that started at all. Like I have to give, um, and I don't think that it has, um, there's not a moment in it at all. That movie to me is, is for what it's supposed to be flawlessly put together. There isn't a moment where I'm like, Oh, this scene doesn't matter. And and let's skip past, like all of the scenes matter. They all build toward, um, the conclusion, like the, the, them infiltrating the death star and Luke shooting the, the laser through the blast. And, all of that stuff for what it is, telling that story is is amazing. It's all perfect to it. JJ is to me the closest person to rekindle the magic of going to see a Star Wars movie, and I feel like all the movies since then have chased it. Um, be, but but now because of the existence of all the new films, we're 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 chasing after different levels of what a Star Wars movie should be. Now we have gritty uh, surface level Star Wars movies, and now we have. Uh, pie in the sky, Ryan Johnson, uh, Star Wars movies and everybody's sort of debating which one they like more. Um but to me JJ's essence of just going to a Star Wars movie is strapping yourself into that roller coaster yeah. and just riding the ride and yes, it felt like an echo of New Hope cuz it is. I mean, like it's just so many beats are similar to what New Hope is. But I think that's what JJ does really well. I think that he um takes something that's really familiar to you and he updates it. And puts his own spin on it. And it looks great and it's funny in the places, all the places I want it oh, to be funny. Yeah. It's perfectly um, balanced. It's beautifully so, cast. Like all of it's it's just great. It's Force Awakens is great.
1: Who is the odd man out here then? Am I the odd man out? Because you you two essentially chose the same three movies. You You're just the odd one. man out. Yeah. But
0: what I will say is, I am a lot closer to putting Last Jedi at number three than you Ooh, guys are. Whoa. And, and if Force Awakens didn't exist. Last Jedi? The four new movies, to me, rank Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Solo, Rogue One. So if Force Awakens didn't exist, Last Jedi, to me, is above all the prequels and above Return of the Jedi. Because it's great. It's actually great. I really like what Ryan did, and i it's beautifully... It's a beautiful film. If you're arguing the quality of a film, it is a beautiful film. It's a
2: gorgeous movie. It just, it, it, it just completely understands that it's a movie, and it completely just laughs at the audience. That, that's how I felt about that movie. I but know. I know. will say this. The Force Awakens... I just think Kylo is such an interesting character. I think he's one of the best characters ever written in the Star Wars universe, and I think that he's so interestingly complicated, And i and I think... Oh my God! I I, I think we,
1: that determines how they what happens with him in, in nine. Well, I, and that's what the, we're
0: going to run out of time. But I have to say that there are a lot of really interesting mysteries raised by Force Awakens that aren't important
1: anymore. I know, I know. I, I right. still want to know. know how Maz got Luke Skywalker, uh, Luke's uh, lightsaber. She's like, oh, it's a, it's a story for another time. Uh, Now's oh, the time. I don't know who raised parents I know. really
0: are? I don't believe that Ray's parents are not anybody. They're somebody. I they her, have, to I think have somebody.
2: Her great grandfather's Kenobi. I've, I've read, that's a great theory, by the way. Why does, she have a, why, why does she have a British accent? Why is her accent British and John's is American? And it doesn't make any sense. There was a choice deliberately made there for those actors to have the accents they do. And there's I clear...
1: do think you're overthinking that a little
2: no, bit. No. Why, why, tell me why John Boyega has an American accent and Ray has an, a British accent. Tell me why. I don't know. What was the
0: choice? They're both British actors. That's a great question. And if any of us get J.J. in the next year, please ask him that. You can reason. answer that without giving away a spoiler. That's not a spoiler. Well, maybe it is a spoiler, actually. <laughs> maybe I answer to that... Daisy Ridley, Ridley that video. question, but she said she just has... Uh,
2: she just says that she, she just... I don't, I don't remember what she said to me, honestly, mm. but it's a very... It's an interesting question
0: that uh, I think is... Peterson Hill. Peterson W. Hill. Uh, it, was, it was very fun to see our listeners play along with this one. People started chiming in pretty early, and Peterson W. Hill has Last Jedi number one,
2: mm.
0: Empire second, and Rogue One third. And then I got to point out one of our listeners, Vandy Price, who is all over the board. Um, He has Revenge of the Sith as four and Rogue One at five and then Last Jedi at six. I know somebody
2: who thinks Sith is the greatest Star Wars movie ever made. That's crazy talk. I genuinely know somebody who actually thinks that
0: the fight between yoda and palpatine like is so cgi disgusting <laughs> that like no one could dis- could actually say this that like while watching it like yeah this is the best this is peak star wars some, It's horrifying. some people
1: just want to see the world burn
0: oh god <laughs> all right next week um I, all right so next week i was i was going here's what i was going to do i was going to do howard blend because i kind of thought we're going to have to do ron howard eventually and it's tied to Solo, and let's do them now. But I'm changing gears. I so much enjoyed our conversation of, of Kubrick and 2001 and classic film um, that I want your opinions for next week when we do hashtag Hitchcock blend. Oh, Ooh. my God. And I, I really already... want us to get super nerdy because Ooh. we only have movies like Adrift and something. Hey, else I like Adrift. Well, It's fine. And by next week, we can talk about Hereditary also. But I think a I'm chunk of next week is going to be um, is going to be Hitchcock Blend. We're going to dedicate a chunk of time to that. Because I think that's going to be a lot of fun. He's so, staring at me right now. Yeah. Uh, next right week, room. you start using on Twitter right now, hashtag Hitchcock, Hitchcock Blend. Uh, you can let us know your picks via email. Uh, RealBlend at com. We have an email address. We have a Twitter account, at RealBlend. And then we all have... Uh, individual accounts jake what is your individual twitter account
1: mine is jake's takes awaits kevin's smart ass comment to this (laughs) kevin kevin yours is (laughs) i'm gonna go with uh you have
0: to pre-write these that's the thing
2: (laughs) all right at return of the king is the best lord of the rings film oh god
0: no it's not that is certainly available That was my actual (laughs) that's that's taken. Dang it, someone has this one. Um, if you were watching on Facebook, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you are listening to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps, um, please leave us a review and uh give us a little star rating. We'll be back next week where we're gonna discuss um whatever the new news comes up. And uh as I said, we're gonna play hashtag Hitchcock Blend, which I'm super excited for. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you which is music to his ears call clickranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done